0: Even if you didn't get a get an eye on, uh, say, like Ithaca and and Alfred, you still got a pretty good dose of D3 football today.
1: Right. Imagine if uh, you go and you go to whatever you you unplug at the end of uh, the afternoon, you think uh, W&J losing is about the craziest thing that happened all day. And then you come back. I don't know, whenever you come back or maybe Twitter with the flurry of tweets that we put out with uh, the upsets and the upset alerts. Uh, and you come back and see just everything that happened after that.
0: well my my top twenty five ballot, which I haven't uh, haven't filed yet, but I have tracked what my uh, the way I had it ranked last week, what everyone do- did. My top twelve teams, none of them lost. And then from thirteen to twenty five, I have three wins. Everyone else lost.
1: What's the sound again for setting a ballot on fire?
0: Uh, I like an explosion, but a uh, torpedo. Sound and missile, um, anything works for me, a four-alarm fire. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com
1: Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the twice-weekly podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 244, the one with the upsets after dark. It's the podcast for September 23rd of 2019. Thanks for joining us. I'm the executive editor of D3Football.com and D3Sports.com, Pat Coleman.
0: And I'm Keith McMillan, the one who's based on the East Coast, so it's 1.21 a.m. as we do
1: this. Yeah, that's pretty good. Actually, 1.21 a.m. on the uh, East Coast is not much later than we usually uh, do this. It's uh, We started the day on Saturday with some pretty good big games, you know, some results that maybe you might expect, maybe you might not. And then...
2: Dogs and cats living together. Mass
1: hysteria. Keith, it all just started going crazy right around midnight Eastern. Well, certainly with
0: the, the Linfield... Redlands game and Chapman beating up pretty good on Whitworth as well, although the final score made it look a little closer than it was. Those were were certainly crazy, but I'd submit that it may have started going crazy around
1: noon, ET. There's certainly a lot that went on on Saturday, and we'll uh, talk more about it In just a moment, but first, before we go any further, I have to uh, remind people that uh, this edition of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is sponsored by Gotta Have It, the 3D logo fan foam wall signs, uh, which uh, there are, of course, five of them licensed already for D3 schools, and more of them to come if you want them. These are, like, the opportunities for you as a fan to go to gotahabitfanfoams.com. And tell them which school you're interested in, or if you're uh, like the person who runs the alumni organization for your Division III football program, or frankly, for any other Division III sports program. These are some pretty sharp-looking wall signs for your office, your wall, your any place that you have walls.
0: I'm a big fan of the fan foam. Um, you know, we've compared them to maybe like a fat head that is three-dimensional, so it's it's something you could stick on a wall you could stick it you know in in your cubicle or whatever you could hang it somewhere you could move it you know you could hang it on a hook and then and then move it somewhere else later it doesn't have to be sort of stuck there forever but it's very sharp looking the detail is is very crisp and again it's it's three-dimensional so it's not just like slapping a sticker on your wall uh i think we need more schools to to get these and we appreciate the support of the podcast
1: Yeah, if you are, if you're someone who has reached out to them, you know, hit us up on Twitter. We want to talk about you guys, too. Hit us up with the D3FB hashtag. And then, of course, look for Gotta Have It uh, at gottahaveitfanfomes.com. And we thank the folks at Gotta Have It for their support of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Yeah, so if you didn't stick around with uh, D3 Football After Dark, you missed uh, a couple of really great games. You missed, uh, of course, uh, as uh, Keith mentioned, Whitworth, falling at Chapman by the score of 37 to 30 and uh Redlands beating Linfield by the score of 27 to 19. Keith and I kind of traded tag teamed on this and I watched more Redlands, Keith watched more Chapman, but uh, either way, you know, really again, these are games that it in the end ended up being seven and eight point games, but I know from watching the Redlands game that Redlands was actually pretty much in control for a good portion of this game and like was up by 18 going into the fourth quarter. And from what you described, sounds like Chapman was pretty well in control against Whitworth as well.
0: Yeah, had a two-touchdown lead and actually had a touchdown taken off the board with about 10 minutes left for an illegal block in the back, but actually could have gone up three touchdowns in the fourth quarter of that game. Whitworth did come back and, uh, and score late. To make it thirty-seven, thirty, but it was it was pretty much Chapman all the way. They just had a um, you know a, a crafty quarterback, a guy who could scramble and make things happen. And, and there was one play in the first half where it looked like they had him in the backfield, and they were just about a half step too slow. And he turned a you know ten-yard loss into a fourteen-yard touchdown run, or something of that effect. And it w- I think Chapman just had a, a lot of speed.
1: I think you would be impressed with my speed
0: and a little bit more than Whitworth could
1: handle. We talk all the time about how so many of the non-conference games for the Skyak are against the Northwest Conference and vice versa. I know Linfield came into the game on Saturday night with some ungodly record of something along the lines of 28-2 and against Skyak teams. And, uh, you know, Whitworth hasn't uh, lost a whole lot of games to Skyak teams either. Not generally, not a lot of uh, Northwest Conference teams lose to their evenly matched skyak opponent
0: saturday's schedule was was almost like an nwc skyac challenge and just when we thought maybe we could draw a conclusion that the skyac has taken this big leap forward with with redlands beating linfield with chapman beating whitworth and uh, with cal lutheran putting uh putting it on pacific pretty good too that was a 45 28 win george fox turned around and beat pomona pitzer pomona pitzer was the team that some sky coaches thought might be one of the teams to beat this year so it uh, it certainly was a good day for the Skyac, but it wasn't a, a clean sweep. I think obviously the big you know the big win is, is Redmonds beating Linfield but both Linfield and Whitworth are ranked and you'd probably have to go back to there was a stretch maybe early right after 2000, maybe 2010, 11, 12 around then when Linfield and Cal Lutheran, Cal Lutheran was at the height of its uh, its dominance of the Skyac. They played every year and occasionally in the playoffs. And Cal Lutheran had gotten close a couple of times, and you know, thirty twenty seven type games, but could never quite get over the hump against Linfield. This Redlands game, as uh, as both you and Greg Thomas mentioned, was uh, was not a a fluke in any way. It was a very
1: thorough um, win. Uh, I thought you were going to say a very thorough something else, uh, but that's a uh... I get what you're getting I, at.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I also, I uh, twice, I had to not say uh, when I said uh, when I was describing get Cal Lutheran Pacific game, I was going to say beat the brakes off of it. And I was like, I don't know if that's a if that's the right way to describe it or appropriate for the for the audience. I don't know.
1: Uh, it did end up being uh, a even split four games for the Skyac, four games for the Northwest Conference, and I, I have to think that any any night or afternoon where you have uh, all eight Skyac teams against all eight Northwest Conference teams, that you're really thinking about a, a time where the Skyac wins like one or two games rather than getting this split and winning those three under the lights that we just talked about. Uh, uh, Cal Lutheran game, we're not going to talk a whole bunch about. They were up 38-zip and then uh, holding on to win 45-28. Let's talk a little bit about the redlands game and then also we had our uh, good friend greg thomas on site he had a conversation with mike maynard after the game and uh, a game in which uh, mike maynard got his 200th career win so congratulations to him the thing that kind of i took away from this game keith is that you know the the defensive line up front for redlands really just kind of had wyatt smith the linfield quarterback on the run all night they uh you know he escaped sometimes uh, he did manage to uh you know, they uh, he managed to draw a couple of penalties for uh, late hits some personal fouls that extended some drives uh, and that sort of thing. But really, uh, he didn't have a lot of time, didn't have a lot of time to work. Uh, and then Redlands, like I said, they were up by that, uh, you know, that score that was uh, you know pretty impressive at the beginning of the fourth quarter. They go up twenty seven to nine after a uh, blocked punt is returned for a touchdown. And, you know, the game is pretty well in hand at this point, except Redlands kind of starts to shoot itself in the foot a little bit. They make a bad snap on a punt. In fact, they made bad snaps on two consecutive punts, one of which the punter standing in the end zone, instead of trying to kick the ball at the back of the end zone, which, you know, I think everybody understands that that's what you're taught to do, instead tried to kick it out of the end zone. It went like it was got blocked and went out of bounds at the one. Linfield goes into the end zone for a touchdown two plays later to cut it to 27-16. And then uh, Linfield adds on a field goal to make it 27-19. Redlands has a couple of uh, offensive penalties on their final drive, leading to a third and 30. And, you know, the penalties not only, of course, cost them a bunch of yards, but they cost them some time. It allows them or keeps them from being able to run some more time off the clock. So they end up with a third and the 30. And then uh, Mason Carvalho, the running back, takes the ball and goes 29 yards on third and 30. Bringing up fourth and one and coming out of a timeout leads to this. Here's the clip from Mitch McColland and Vinny Fazio on KMET Radio.
0: is the second tight end. Martinez is under center. And we Does got Linfield have play. 12?
3: Linfield has 12, guys. Oh, wow. Linfield has 12 guys. Now, don't Linfield has 12 guys <laughs> on the field.
1: Keith, coming out of a timeout, you bring 12 guys out onto the field. That's a, that's a crazy way to end up sealing your loss in a game like that
0: sure and i imagine at that point in the game you know you're you're trying to come back you've got it to an to an 8 point margin where you think man if we can just get the ball back we might have a chance here and to 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 give up that first down in that two six, the the two successive plays where you give up 29 yards on a 3rd and 30 and then to to just basically hand them the first down on uh on on fourth down is is certainly disheartening it's something that linfield will take back to oregon and um this loss too is, is a wake-up call i think for um for that team but i i think when they see the whitworth score and who knows at what point they realize okay uh everyone else good in our conference lost today as well so maybe it was just a it was just a rough rough day for the conference and uh And, and, you know, we won't beat ourselves up too badly for this, because as we talk about all the time when it comes to uh, non-conference games in D3, you should play these games and you should schedule aggressively because your path to the playoffs is still through the automatic qualifier by winning your own conference.
1: Before we leave this game, let's go to that interview that uh, Greg Thomas had with Mike Maynard, the University of Redlands head coach.
0: Uh, first of all, congratulations
2: on the big win. Um, early in the game, they came out really fast. They hit you with some tempo. They hit you with a big play. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. How much did that? How much that fumble that went through the end zone at the first drive settle your guys down a little bit and sort of get you get yeah, get into the game? There,
3: was, there were there I don't know ten or twelve really key plays. That was one of them. The punt block was one of them, of course. Um, they got some deep balls. Their quarterback is, is phenomenal, and they have great speed the receiver. We knew that they were gonna. Light, you know try to light it up with some big plays and, and of course they did I thought one of the keys was our ability to take uh, temper their run game and you know kind of, kind of we didn't take it away but we we we, we restricted their run game in, in a way that created you know the ability for us to put some dime and, and nickel defense still they were able to get plays on us uh, but uh, You know, there were some there were some penalties that hurt us in the the fourth quarter that I'd like to get cleaned up. There's a bunch of things that we can do better. Uh, This is a quality quality team that we we played, tremendously well coached. It's it's really um, it could have gone any either way. You know, in in this game, I thought that the the first half uh, our offense really um, made the plays that they needed to make that, you know, that scored that gave us enough buffer in the second half because we weren't as effective in the second half as I'd like to be.
2: Um, sure thing. We talked about the big, uh, the big sack fumble on the first drive. Yeah. Your defensive line was really getting on White Smith all game long, um, especially on third down. It seemed like every big <clears> third down, you guys were in the backfield and on White Smith. Yeah. Uh, talk about those guys and how good they did on third down just turning it loose and getting after him
3: well we rotated quite a bit of our defensive line i thought that they did get tremendous pressure particularly on third down we, you know in many many of the times it was you know a third more than eight and we knew that you know they'd have to throw and, and we wanted to make sure that we didn't give them time whenever he has time to throw he's uh, very very effective he's so accurate um and they were able to make first downs you know at the sticks and stuff and it's hard to keep them from you know making first downs at the sticks and still defending over the top and uh, so that w- that gave us some trouble but um you know fortunately you know the game the clock kept ticking and they, they were unable to unable to score enough at, at the end but um you know i thought our defensive line was the key to the game their defensive line was the key to their game and uh, we were just able to get a few more points and then.
2: yeah um so <laughs> certainly out here on the west coast you guys know uh Really well how good Linfield is and how good their program has been historically yes, course, yes. what is
3: what is getting one over on them tonight mean for Redlands football well right now you know <laughs> that's all for you all to decide <laughs> you know they're a ranked team and you know we were able to beat a ranked team but it was at home and it's hard to travel and uh, um, you know those are those are questions that I, I'm probably not going to be able to decide we've got seven more games to go we've got a lot of work to do obviously we're a work in progress still I think that there, we could be a lot better than we played tonight. So I don't know what the implications will be. <clears throat> we beat the 11th ranked team in the country. Um, they're really good, and and maybe we will be.
2: Sure thing. And then on a more personal level, uh, it's on the big it's on the big new bright board. Yeah, and to- it shouldn't be it shouldn't
3: be about me. And I was hoping nobody knew. And I should have known my athletic director would know that stuff. But it's, <laughs> it's never about the coach. And it's certainly not about me. And uh, yeah, that, that's those things are important. It, it was nice and it was fun, but. You know, I don't want to distract from the, what is really important. And that's the young man that played the game.
1: Keith, before we move on, you and I have talked to Mike Maynard, obviously, on numerous occasions. And that is just very much Coach Maynard in a nutshell right there.
0: Absolutely. Great guy. And, and we've met tons of, of great guys, coaches um, over the years. And, and that's probably a fairly common um, sentiment. That they don't want to make it about themselves, and that every game is, is you know, coaches are. It's about this game that we just played and this next one that we have coming up, and and sometimes we we almost kind of like hurt for them a little bit because you're like, man, these guys never get to relax and enjoy it and uh, and and celebrate their own uh, successes. But I, I do think it is sometimes about the coach, and 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 a, a program takes on the personality of of the man in charge, and uh, that type of leadership and that type of care for everyone else to to get the credit actually filters down throughout the program from the coordinators, um, from the administrators, you know, everyone, when they operate and you're sort of all rowing in that same direction where I don't really need to take the credit for myself here. I just want us to, uh, to, to do the best for the, for the men we have in the program. I think, I think that is, is heartwarming.
1: All right. So that was midnight. Let's talk a little bit about noon on Saturday noon games, for example, in which, uh, Endicott had a 17-0 lead on Wesley at the half, and then Wesley comes back and uh, wins the game on a field goal at the buzzer. Uh, you know, Similarly, we just barely touched on uh, Carnegie Mellon beating uh, 12th-ranked W&J. Carnegie Mellon comes uh, and scores in the fourth quarter to win that game. And, and any other given Saturday, these would have been the top stories and really good ones to uh, kind of lead the day with.
0: Yeah, it was just an amazing slate of games when you really think about it. Um, when you count the the CCIW clashes and Barry and Trinity and the the Northwest Conference Skyac games, there were a lot of games that we could we could look ahead at. And you know, there there was the St. John's getting a, a push from from Gustavus. There were all these games where 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 we thought those these would be big games coming in. You could put Mountain Union Ball and Baldwin Wallace on. On that list although I think that probably turned out the way we thought it would we've seen that movie enough times to know to not get too excited about a, a midseason uh, mountain union game or an early season one unless the opponent is is John Carroll um, there were really a ton of great games and then these these teams that that cast these upsets all of a sudden put themselves in the discussion and I think you're right Pat we'd probably be talking a lot more about uh, a Carnegie Mellon on a different day, but it, it, it was really just a, an exciting week of football in, in week three across the board. And and I thought what stood out to me, you tell me if you agree with this, is that in a lot of these games, these big ones, that there, there was one defense or sometimes both defenses played really well. And it wasn't like there was a spade of bad weather across the country. It was just, you know, teams played well defensively in these big games. So, you know, the Barry Trinity score 14, 10, Wheaton only gives up 10 points. Ithaca only gives up nine points. There were some really nice defensive performances across the country.
1: Yeah. Throw into that uh, Muhlenberg and Susquehanna going to overtime. Muhlenberg winning 24-17. Uh, uh, even though Whitewater St. Xavier game, uh, 28-20 Whitewater, 23-13 Mary Harden-Baylor. I feel like we should talk more about that maybe coming up in a minute too. Um, uh, but let's talk just for a second about 7 o'clock, these evening games like the Illinois Wesleyan Wheaton game, like the uh, the North Central Wash U game, although you could have tuned out of that game at halftime, uh, another uh, another set of great games. Ones we were really focused on coming in, and you know, I guess in both cases the higher ranked team won both, and Wheaton only uh, higher ranked by one spot, but playing at home and and looked really really good on Saturday night. Yeah,
0: it was a, it was a fairly dominant performance after about the first half of the first quarter it was all wheaton in that one and then it got to it got to raining in the second half and so it it just didn't really lend itself to an illinois wesleyan comeback or or offensive onslaught because uh probably their best player is is their quarterback brandon bauer and uh it was one of those days where you know the the ball you can tell watching it on video the ball looks heavy that's not coming out of the quarterback's hand really well and, and they're sailing some balls and and, and I think Wheaton defensively was playing really well as well. So you got you to, gotta, you know, a couple of defenders around your guy. You really, your passes really have to be uh, on point And it's hard to do that in the rain and with a wet ball.
1: The big difference for Illinois Wesleyan from game one to game two, uh, Hamid Bully, 37 carries for 177 yards on the ground against UW lacrosse. And then Wheaton held him to 16 carries for 32 yards. And then I want to talk about uh, Mary Harden Baylor. Mary Harden Baylor really struggling with uh, with Bellhaven. And Bellhaven, if we haven't really talked about them on this podcast since they stopped doing Air Raid and uh, How Mummy left, um, it's because they haven't had a lot to talk about. Uh, you know, it was 23 6 for the entire third quarter. Um, and it was, you know, a little while for Mary Harden Baylor to get going again. And. Uh, I don't know how long Luke Poorman played quarterback. Uh, Ryan Redding was in for a little bit, and he threw one pass. Uh, Poorman ran for 93 yards and threw for 158. But it looks like to me that the the really big difference is that right now, in the absence of all of those great running backs who have uh, since graduated from Mary harden Biller, they're kind of struggling. JoVell McDaniel did go 21 carries for 137 yards, but they didn't have a lot of you know this big kind of bruising wear the team down like you have seen from Mary Harden Baylor and like we've seen from Whitewater in the past
0: yeah I actually did get to watch a little bit of the fourth quarter of that game at that point it was 23 13 poorman was still in and uh JaVale McDaniel had a nice run uh to help seal it for for Mary Harden Baylor where he sort of you know gets through and he probably has the first down and then he punishes the first three four guys that try to tackle him anyway and on the broadcast they their takeaway was, Essentially, um, not a pretty game. we got a lot to go back and work on, but we may have found a running back tonight. And I think that, Pat, um, you know, answers one of the big questions we had about Mary Harden Baylor. The other one being, of course, uh, which quarterback are they going to settle on? And I think sometimes when a program is, is so good and so head and shoulders above a lot of the teams that it plays, it actually has some time to to I don't know if experiment is the right word but to to give some players opportunities to succeed and to and to to compete not just within practice but but in games and show the coaches which which guy is is going to be the one who delivers on game day and so Mary Harden Baylor probably doesn't have to have its absolute best lineup figured out until it plays Harden Simmons um but certainly, you see that score, and I think some voters are probably going to react to twenty three thirteen, and and you know you may see a few number one votes change hands, especially with Mountain Union dominating Baldwin Wallace the way they did. But again, they're never in danger of losing that game. You know, it, it, like you said, it was it was twenty three six for for a good portion of the time. So, uh, you know, you could make either argument, and and I'm sure voters will be will be split. On, uh, on whether Mary Harden-Baylor remains at the top of, of everyone's ballot or or if a few of them flip.
1: Yeah, I think we uh, do indeed see a few of them flip in the Sunday poll. Uh, one more team to talk about before we uh, go into the rest of the rundown and the rest of our categories. And we will talk about Mountain Union a little bit later, but we're going to talk about UW-Whitewater for just a moment. They beat St. Xavier uh, 28-20 on Saturday. Uh, UW Whitewater, number three in our top 25. St. Xavier, ranked number five in the NAIA. You know, those are the guys with the 24 scholarships. I think that's right. 24 there, 36 in NCAA Division II. And, uh, you know, Whitewater on their very first play of the game lost quarterback Zach Olis. He got, uh, he got knocked down. Uh, he got hit pretty hard, uh, throwing a, throwing a screen pass and, you know, three guys just basically unimpeded to Oles and, uh, he hit the turf pretty hard. He did then walk off under his own power, and Max Mailer came in to throw for 204 yards in relief. And I was, of course, very happy as a fan of Division Three to have a win against a highly ranked NAIA team. But uh, this was a you know something where uh, you know he'd had a pretty good first couple of weeks at quarterback, and uh, looked like things were pretty solid. And I don't know, like maybe the bright side is that you find a second guy and you give him. A great number of reps, obviously, against a really good team that kind of kind of prepare you for Wyatt play. But uh, you know, now they've got uh, now we've got I guess questions about that too.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the real weak spots in in being able to cover T three is is the reporting on injuries. We just don't, you know, it's Saturday night as we record this, so we don't have that information yet, or even really have a sense of whether it's a long term injury or something where 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 he'll be back um next week you know if this were a a conference division in college football where it's covered by a, every television network we'd probably have we'd probably know that by now but um I think you I think your assessment of it is is pretty much spot on that again you know same same thing we said about Mary Hardin Baylor where uh Whitewater doesn't necessarily have to have its its tip-top best lineup out there uh, every week it's probably it's it's nice for them it'd be ideal they'd want to have their best quarterback but uh if they end up finding a second quarterback out of this if they end up figuring out that we have we have these three great running backs and let's let's lean on those guys for a week or two those are those are type of things that end up actually um, you know making your your offensive attack more diverse and your team a little bit better for for you know trouble that may present itself later in the season the game ball Game, ball.
1: game balls! Game it's balls! Game balls! It's time for game balls, and uh, Keith, game balls. my game ball is going to go to Muhlenberg All-America defensive end Frankie Feaster, who is you know also one of my favorite names in Division Three to say right now. He had uh, five tackles for the Mules on Saturday, but he also blocked two punts in the win against Susquehanna, and he recorded two and a half sacks, which gives him twenty-four for his career, putting him a half sack away from the program's all-time mark. First punt block came at a pretty crucial time at midfield in the first quarter, and Muhlenberg was in the end zone seven plays later to take a seven-nothing lead. And then eventually, when it was all said and done, Muhlenberg comes away with that twenty-four to seventeen win in overtime against number twenty-five Susquehanna.
0: And that's pretty much a logjam now at the top of the Centennial, given that Susquehanna had a one-point victory over Johns Hopkins in week two. Frankie Feaster is a tornado, and he'd be pretty fun guy to to mess around with the the headlines. If you were writing, you know, I guess you'd probably go to that well to, way too often, though, right? Like Muhlenberg feasts on, you know, Frankie Feast, Frankie Feasts on the offensive line from Tuscaloosa. Susque- anyway, yeah, right, never mind.
1: I'm thinking there's a Feaster famine reference to be made in there too.
0: See, that's why we use you. You're very smart. <laughs>
1: My game ball goes to
0: the Wheaton defense collectively for allowing less than 100 yards of total offense to Illinois Wesleyan after the Titans went 69 yards in 10 plays with their second possession. IWU rushed for just 39 yards on 31 attempts and finished with 151 yards of total offense. It had 13 possessions, and its only other score was a one-yard field goal drive set up by a turnover. And perhaps most amazing was that Wheaton did all this without generating a turnover or having an overwhelming spate of sacks. They had two it was just smothering defense from start to finish and a notice sent to the rest of the CCIW and North region that points are going to be hard to come by against Wheaton.
1: Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder about the thing about uh, Illinois Wesleyan's running numbers. I also didn't mean to to make a pun about stealing your thunder. Okay. I
0: Because I saw, I caught that, and I was like, oh, he's on his headline thing now.
1: <laughs> I, You know, that was the thing is like – uh, my uh, the worst part of me as a copy editor was the headlines really good at trimming stories good at you know picking out facts that are at issue and things that need to be fixed but I was just kind of a really ordinary headline writer
0: it's weird I could never do the short catchy ones but I feel like the way headlines are written now online for that audience I'm a lot better at it so <laughs> uh, Who knows?
1: oh yeah you're like are you guys like all seo headline type stuff too right
0: no I mean I think we're almost like you probably call it more I guess the Buzzfeed style, where you're like, you just you just want to isolate the the emotion, hmm. right? It's like the it's like all anger, all uh, oh, I guess awe. there, there are are kind like three four emotions you try to isolate, and then you just put like the the really the gripping part, the gripping stuff really needs to be at the front of the headline, I think, because attention spans are that short anymore. But
1: anyway, all right, I'll have to take your uh, masterclass on headline writing at some point soon. Would love to offer it. We will rise or be a team on the rise in the poll if we are, say, Hobart. The Statesmen are one of the teams this week that stood to gain a bunch of votes from the large number of teams which lost or perhaps didn't look super impressive in wins on Saturday. Whereas Hobart beat Rowan first off and also saw Week 1 opponent Brockport win big to make that win look just a little bit more impressive. That's the sort of team outside the poll that could really benefit from a week like this when the bottom half of the poll is just like carnage.
0: My team on the rise, uh, Wheaton, had one of the week's most impressive wins, but the Thunder were already at eight for me, so the big riser, I think, is going to be Ithaca. It's in a spot in the poll where a lot of teams ranked nearby lost, and it won against solid competition in Alfred. There are a handful of teams that beat good conference competition on Saturday, such as Barry, Delaware Valley, Wheaton, and Muhlenberg, and both Salisbury and Bethel might benefit from from having bye weeks. But the team that combined an impressive win with having move, room to move based on where it is in the rankings for me was Ithaca.
1: That wasn't flying. That was falling with style. My team that will take a fall in the top 25, whether that's with style or not is center. I think there was some consensus among, you know, our inner circle, our core team here at D three football.com that the Colonels were rated too highly in our poll, but not sure too many people thought that it would be Austin college that took them down, but the kangaroos, yeah, I just had to say kangaroos. I'm not sure I've ever uttered that mascot's name on this podcast. Uh, they ended Saturday's game uh, last week against Southwest Assemblies of God on a roll, rallying to win that game. And the roll continued in the first quarter on Saturday as Austin College scored the first 13 points of the game and then held on to win 20-13. to 13. Center had second and goal from the one late in the game, but the Ruse had consecutive tackles for loss, and then they held on a fourth down play, fourth and goal from the four to secure the win. And all that came on a big night for Austin College quarterback Colton Collins, who broke a 59 year old school record for career total offense. Keith, how many times do you think, how many schools do you think have a total offense record for a quarterback from 1960? The game has changed so much since then.
0: Probably tells you a little bit about the quality of Austin's program in recent years that they haven't had uh, one. But yeah, I think if you look at most offensive records, they've probably been been broken uh, in the past uh, 15 years or something. For my team that'll take a fall, there are tons of candidates who lost in week three who should tumble. I could basically lop my ballot off at number 11, dip it in kerosene, light it on fire, and I'd still have about the same number of teams who won this week. But on top of that, I think there are some teams who are victorious who did not look like they deserve to be at their spot in the rankings. Should a team knocking on the door of the top 10 need a game-winning field goal to beat Endicott as Wesley did? Uh, no, they shouldn't. Should voters reward Wittenberg for its two-point win at home against Worcester? How will voters reframe their thoughts on Linfield and Whitworth? Will they care that UW lacrosse lost to a one and one NAIA team in Dickinson State? I think voters have carte blanche to etch a sketch everything from ten to fifteen to twenty-five this week. And if I had to pick a team that tumbled though and, and centers off the board, I think it's probably Washington and Jefferson, since it lost to Carnegie Mellon and the team it beat in Wittenberg was unimpressive in victory.
1: For my off-the-beaten-path highlight, Keith, I'm going to go to one of the first games of the day. This is a game in which uh, TCNJ, the College of New Jersey, led St. John Fisher 16-5 at the half. And then St. John Fisher comes back to score the final 35 points, 29 of them in the fourth quarter, to win that game going away. Uh, if you need me to do the math for you, that's 40-16. to The Cardinals never had to take a single snap in their own territory that entire fourth quarter. They scored on like a 78-yard punt return. Uh, Then they took the ball over on interceptions twice and then once on downs on the Lions' side of midfield. It's a pretty big highlight for St. John Fisher right now because the Cardinals have already matched their win total from the entire 2018 season. They're now 3-0.
0: Pat, I didn't realize we were going to talk about the West Coast the entire top of this broadcast, <laughs> or po- podcast. Uh, but the uh, so the one... I thought this was off the beaten path, but apparently it's right in the middle of the path that everybody else would be on. But we didn't talk about the Occidental game, and to be honest, it's hard not to feel for, for Rob Cushman and some of the older players in the Occidental program. Cushman had turned around Minnesota Morris from winless to six wins in two seasons and came to L.A. to help save a program that nearly shut down. He's been a straight shooter with us about the challenges of saving football at a place that wasn't even sure if it wanted to save football. And here the Tigers are on Saturday on the road with a 31-27 lead in the fourth after back-to-back touchdown drives. Willamette misses a 29-yard field goal, and Occidental has the lead and the ball with 744 left, but it goes three and out. Then Willamette gets to driving and fumbles, so Oxy again has the lead and the ball, this time with 411 left. The Tigers get one first down and kill less than two minutes. Willamette burns two timeouts, gets the ball back. They're down 31-27 with two eleven left. And then the Tigers shot themselves in the foot with a bazooka. They gave up two long pass plays. They had three penalties, the go-ahead Willamette TD, and two more penalties after that. Willamette holds on and wins, 34-31. And even though Oxy beat a Mexican team in the opener, and so they wouldn't consider themselves not having won since 2016, if you're scoring competition against D3 schools, this would have been a huge win and a breakthrough. Oxy quarterback Josh Greaves did pass for 370 yards, and you have to be encouraged if you're an Occidental fan that the team may be at least competitive this season, if not get a few wins. Surprise!
1: My most surprising result for this weekend comes from the OAC. Wilmington came away with its biggest win in more than a decade and defeated Ohio Northern for the first time since 1995, winning 42-38. Quakers watched a 35-17 lead evaporate as ONU scored three consecutive touchdowns and took the lead midway through the fourth quarter. And sometimes, you know, when you're a team that doesn't have a lot of experience winning and closing games, you don't recover from coughing up the lead like that. But Wilmington took over on its own 11 with 2.12 left, and quarterback Kyle Barrett moved them down the field, hitting Atika Wynn Jr. for an 8-yard touchdown, giving Wilmington the lead back with 28 seconds left in the game. And it wouldn't be a big win in D3 without some horribly overmodulated audio, so here it is from the Wilmington broadcast. Barrett, he said, drives back pass. Into the end zone, it is caught by number three, Atika Wynn Jr. for his third
0: touchdown of the game. And that gives the Quakers the lead. Three-point lead, hitting the PAT.
2: Hit this PAT. Ohio Northern has the to score a touchdown to win
0: the ruse of the field goal. Cannon goes off. Quakers are in the lead.
1: 41-38.
0: Uh, I'm glad he explained that was a cannon because I thought somebody got shot in the press box.
1: Yikes. I actually had the choice to take the cannon out, but since he uh, explained it and it sounded vaguely cool, I left it in.
0: But I mean it was very it was noticeable, right? It wasn't just me. I was like, did something happen? Did somebody drop a set of books in the background?
1: They were that surprised that they came back with a 89-yard you know, drive with a, a minute and a half or something.
0: And it was the beautiful D3 audio. The quality varies from place to place. For my most surprising result uh is all of them an acceptable answer here. No, I have to choose something. Hmm. The most surprising on a day full of surprises might have been all the way at the bottom if you scroll the scores page. Southwestern 50, Louisiana College 3. It was not that long ago that the Wildcats were the ASC team most likely to challenge Mary Harden-Baylor. Now they trail 37-3 in games at halftime, not even against Mary Harden-Baylor.
1: My stat of the week hot off the ticker for this week's podcast is 0 That's the number of points which uh, Merchant Marine allowed on Saturday versus SUNY Maritime, and it's also the number of shutouts that the Mariners had had under Mike Toop before Saturday night's game, Saturday afternoon's game. Merchant Marine won 45 to nothing against its cross-bay rival, thanks in large part to seven tackles for loss and seven passes broken up. And the big margin allowed Merchant Marine to get carries for 12 guys, and uh, nine of them had between 20 and 84 yards. Lots of guys getting to play, and uh, lots of guys on defense preserving that shutout.
0: For my stat of the week, let's go to Mountain Union, which earned its 800th win, not against Baldwin-Wallace. All 800 have not been against Baldwin-Wallace, but they did it against Baldwin-Wallace on Saturday. That puts them in a, a select group of 16 programs across all divisions of college football with uh, with that many wins. Also in that, in that um, victory, which was fairly impressive defensively for Mountain Union and offensively uh, the way they normally are D'Angelo Fulford, four touchdown passes, Justin Hill, two touchdown catches, Josh Petroselli ran the ball. Well, so pretty much, you know, if you didn't watch it and you guessed how a mountain union game would go, that was pretty much the game. But D'Angelo Fulford went past, um, a hundred career touchdown passes in this one. And while we're here in the OAC, I'll throw in a bonus stat of the week, Heidelberg in its, uh, in its victory, uh, Ran 56 plays for 682 yards. That was 12.2 yards per play, which is a first down every time they snap the ball. Pretty impressive.
1: Just 56 snaps just on on its own. That's kind of a low number of snaps. You go for 682 yards. Yikes. Uh, I went back and did the math, too. Uh, So it's more than half of those 800 wins for Mountain Union uh, are coached by someone named Karis. Uh, Larry Karras with 332 career wins. And right now, Vince Karras with 86.
3: Your categories have become tiresome. Now's the time on sprockets when we dance.
1: Now is the time of the podcast when we go to Twitter. We put out the call typically on Sunday nights for this. If you weren't at your Twitter machine on Saturday night, you missed your chance. But Friar Tuck Deluxe... Uh, who uh, is also Tyler Reed, uh, did not miss his shot. He responded to us and said, is it time to hit the panic button if you're UMHB? Hashtag D3FB. Really good question.
0: Yeah, it is a great question. And I think one of the reasons, say, what Mountain Union does is so impressive is they almost never have this game, which almost every other team has, even when 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 it's really good and dominant, is this game where it wins and, um, you know, maybe the score just doesn't look that impressive. 23-13, again, it was never really in doubt. It wasn't like Belhaven was going to somehow get to, to 24 points and, and beat Mary Harden Baylor. It, it just didn't really threaten that much. But you look at that and, and you expect, especially when you cast it against the other scores from top five, top ten teams, where, you know, you have North Central winning by 30, St. Saint, uh, Saint Thomas winning by a million. One million. It's not time to, to hit the panic button. I think most good teams, even dominant teams, have this game once. I think you start to hit the panic button when you see it two and three weeks in a row, and, and, and you start to see trends like we can't move the ball or we don't have a running game or, man, our cornerbacks are sketchy. That's when you start to panic, and I think as long as you don't have any issues that linger week to week and aren't necessarily like matchup-dependent, you know, sometimes team just has a has an off day. Sometimes teams um, don't don't match up well against another team, particularly, you know, say defensive line on on this team we're facing this week is really great. But next week, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll dominate. I, and, I, and I think especially with um, you go back to the first game for Mary Harden Baylor against Albright and you had Poorman. Through ten passes, Ryan Redding threw ten passes. Tommy Bowden came into the game, so they're they're searching around for a quarterback. You had you know a bunch of guys get carries, searching around for a running back. I think you really start to to worry if this lingers week to week to week, and you're we're still you know mid October, and we're having the same discussion. Then I think you start to worry.
1: It has been really interesting to watch, though, because that it, it seems like you know Mary Harden Baylor. It not seems like Mary Harden Baylor has been one of those uh, programs that just reloads, right? And they just reloaded running back, and maybe they haven't always reloaded at quarterback, obviously. But they, you know, when they don't uh, get a, uh, you know, the next Blake Jackson or whatever at quarterback. They've always had a guy who's, you know, the next 200-yard rusher, the next guy who's going to be a candidate for D3Football.com Offensive Player of the Year. And this is like a year where it's just a little bit different so far here in the early going where, you know, you know no Mark Keith miller uh, Jace Hammock started most of the season last year at quarterback. He's uh, not healthy yet. And things are just a, a little bit strange. And, and UMHB games don't always go the way that you expect them to
0: but this is the same point we made with Brockport when when you know you and I didn't rank them in the preseason and they have so much talent that was graduating and you you just can't assume that a team has guys that can come in and do the same exact thing as the guy beforehand and and Markeith Miller being a three four year starter a, a you know someone that not not just gained experience over playing those years but essentially was a 22 year old 23 year old man I don't know how old he was when he when he finished but you're when you're a senior and then you replace a senior with you're looking at freshman and sophomore you're you're literally replacing a grown man with with someone who may not have have physically um you know gotten to that level yet so there there is a little bit of drop off that you should expect even for these dominant teams and I think when we don't see that drop off, when they just reload and there is another guy right behind this great guy that just graduated, that's when you you really start to be amazed because you're like that's that's much harder than uh, than it sometimes is made out to be.
1: Thanks for sending us the question, Tyler Reed at Friar Tuck Deluxe. Again, if you want to send us a question on Twitter for this podcast, keep an eye out. We might throw you a curveball and send you something on Saturday. Now it's time for the last word, and uh, my last word. For this week's podcast is uh, it's going to come from a couple different places. Uh, one of the things that uh, in my mind is about counting your chickens before they're hatched. I know, God, that seems like a really old phrase now. What's the is, Keith? Is there a modern version of that uh, cliche I can use?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think so. Counting your investment dividends before they you cash them out. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I got to know when to fold them. All right. So um I made a point on Twitter really early in the afternoon on Saturday to uh, point out where a, a broadcast crew had said uh, with literally 10 minutes uh, gone into the game and and their team leading seven to nothing said, you beat a ranked team. Does that give you any chance of being ranked? And then like that. uh kind of came back around at the end of the night when uh, um, the Chapman set of broadcasters uh, kind of similarly made a a similar assumption let me just say this now and this is something uh, that Keith usually says so I apologize um, I'm again uh, kind of taking words out of your mouth Keith but uh, at this point here three weeks into the season 30 teams are 3-0 28 more are at 2-0 there is not room in a top 25 or two top 25s, even for all of those unbeaten teams, and that doesn't even account for teams who, you know, had, uh, only, had only had a loss to a good team and has a has a win. You know, one and one teams that could deserve to be in the top 25, that sort of thing, two and one teams, etc. That's just all the unbeaten teams. So, a patience, people. B don't count your chickens in the first quarter. Um, would be my other, other recommendation, um, and uh, that is uh, that's. I guess that's where my last word is. I don't know if this is supposed to be me ranting, but it is what it is uh, this time around.
0: Yeah, it did kind of turn into a rant, but I think a a valid one in the sense that uh, yeah, the, we can never reiterate too often that Division Three is a huge division. We're bordering on 250 football playing schools, and the top 25 is a is a really elite group of those schools. For my last word, whoever had 74 points scored and a 60-point margin of victory for St. Thomas in its first kicked out of the Mayak game against Hamlin, you, sir or madam, have won the
1: pool. And there you go, and this was D3Football.com around the nation podcast number 244, season 13, episode. Six released on September 23rd, 2019. Thanks for listening. And of course, keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the week. If you like our podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or on iHeartRadio. I was very happy to find out that, indeed, we are finally listed in the iHeart uh, Podcast directory, so that was nice. Uh, anywhere you can leave us a positive review, a five-star review, if you know, assuming they're stars. Uh, that'll help other football fans find it. We're super happy about that. You can also leave comments for us on the blog page. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? You can join the conversation by registering the post with a legitimate email address at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh and Greg Thomas. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at DJMentos.com. Thanks to our guest, Mike Maynard, along with Sports Information Director Rachel Roach for their time and their assistance on this edition of our show. And, of course, thank you to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan.
0: Uh... Oh. That was supposed to be our outro. My bad. It could have been. It doesn't have to be. Sorry, all my funny was in the podcast this time, which I think is probably a good way to do it every now and again.
3: There'll be a time to, uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time.